everyone. This week's episode of Everything Under the Sun is sponsored by Orchard Toys. We are huge fans of Orchard Toys and our house, and we've got lots and lots of their games and puzzles in our toy room. We love playing Shopping List. It's a shopping-based memory game where you match things in the shops to things on your shopping list, and the first to fill their trolley wins the game. It's really good fun to play, and it's easy for lots of different ages to join in and all play together as a family or friends. My youngest son, if he's playing on his own, usually reaches for his favourite puzzle called Giant Road, where he likes creating a new road layout every time, with lots of things going on from pizza delivery men to pets and post boxes along the road. My eldest son, who is five, loves a game called Number Bears. One, two, three. It's such a great way to help your little ones learn their number bonds to 20. They practice adding and subtraction. It's really good as a game and it's also an activity to help your little ones get to grips with sums. It's such a winner in our house and has really helped my son to love maths. His friends also love playing it too. Listeners to my podcast can get 20% off this brilliant Number Bears game simply by using the code under the sun on orchardtoys.com. So if you've got a little one who's learning his maths, I really recommend it. Orchard Toys have lots of games, jigsaws and colouring books for children from age 18 months to 9 years old. And they've also got lots of free stuff to download on their website. So go and take a look at orchardtoys.com and while you're there, use the code under the sun to get the Number Bears game popping through your letterbox soon. This offer lasts for three months from today, so be quick. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to Everything Under the Sun, a weekly podcast answering all the most pressing questions children around the world have about life on Earth. Let's begin with our first question, which is a very important one that comes from Alex. Over to Alex. Hi, Molly. I'm Alex. I'm four years old. I live in England and I like school. My question is... What is the rarest animal in the world? Thanks, Molly. Bye. Well, Alex, thank you for sending me your excellent question. I had to really think about this one. The rarest animal in the world is thought to be something called the vaquita, which is a porpoise. It lives in the furthest northwestern corner of the Gulf of California in Mexico. Now, we don't know much about these rare and special creatures. They have large grey fins and dark rings around their eyes. They like to swim in shallow waters and they're very, very shy. So unless you sit still and are very patient and are with somebody who knows what they're looking for, you're not that likely to see one. But maybe one day you will. You never know. They are the only species of porpoise that live in waters as warm as the Gulf of California. And they're unique because they can handle large changes in the temperature of water. In 1997, there were 567 of them swimming around. But now they are endangered and there are only between 6 and 30 in the wild. Within 10 years, it's very sad to say that the vaquita might go extinct. I really hope this isn't the case and that things get better for this very special porpoise. 
Female vaquitas only give birth on average once every two years, which contributes to their small population. But the biggest reason for their declining population is probably because of the use of something called gill nets in commercial fishing. Gill nets are nets that catch fish by their gills. Oh, how horrible. And they are often used in illegal fishing. And that is a real problem for vaquitas because they're getting caught by illegal fishermen. Oh no! There are none of them in captivity and there's no successful breeding program to raise their numbers. So things are not looking good for the vaquita. That is why it is one of the rarest animals on earth. There could easily be animals that are rarer. We just don't have good estimates of how many there are in the world because some of them have been seen for years and scientists don't know whether they're extinct or just very difficult to spot. Vaquitas, we know though, are definitely the world's rarest marine mammal. I hope that answers your question, Alex, and thank you for sending it in. Perhaps one day you'll see a vaquita and do something to help these curious little creatures. And now it's time for our second question, which is about something animals called mollusks make as their homes. It's about shells, and it comes from Rianne. Over to Rianne. Hello, my name is Rian. I'm from India and I'm eight years old. I just came back from a lovely seaside holiday and on the beach, I collected many shells. And then this question came to me, how are seashells formed? Thank you, bye. Hi Rian, thanks for your totally excellent question. How wonderful you thought of such a good one when you were on your holiday. I hope you had a great time and thank you for sending your question about shells in. So I have found a wonderful person to answer this for you. Her name is Helen Scales and she's a marine biologist. She spends as much time as she can exploring underwater. She knows a lot about mollusks. She's been to a lot of beaches and she also scuba dives a lot. And everywhere she goes, she looks for shells. Her favourite are ones called cowrie shells, which are about the size of a small fingernail. She knows all about shells and she's even written a book about them called What a Shell Can Tell. So she's the perfect person to answer your question. Over to Helen. Hi, Rianne. This is Helen Scales. I'm a marine biologist. I'm currently sitting on a beach in France surrounded by beautiful shells. Thank you so much for your question about how shells are formed. It's a brilliant question. Now, all of these shells were made by a whole group of animals, which we call mollusks. And they come in various different kinds. The shells that are spiraling, they've got those twisting shells, they're made by snails. The same group of animals that you see out on land as well. The ones that come in two parts, or sometimes you only find one half of that, those are bivalves and they include things like clams and cockles and mussels. And when they're alive, they have those two shells which they clamp tightly together, which keeps them safe inside. Now, all of these mollusks are soft, squishy animals. They live inside these hard shells, which they make. And they only make one of those shells throughout their entire lives. They keep it the whole time and they grow them bigger so that the animal inside can grow bigger as well. 
Now they make their shells out of tough material called calcium carbonate and they create more shell basically by releasing it from a soft tissue on their bodies, a soft part of their body called the mantle, which is a bit like a tongue, a soft pink tongue across their bodies. And this is what makes this really hard material. And they add that to the outer edge of their shells. So the open hole of a snail shell or the edge of a bivalve shell of a clam or a cockle. And they just expand the shell from there, which makes the shell bigger and bigger. They can also lay down colors and patterns. And that is how a shell is made. Thanks so much, Helen, for your wonderful answer about shells. I love hearing the sound of the beach where you are in France, surrounded by shells, which were made by mollusks of all shapes and sizes, including clams, cockles, mussels and snails. How wonderful to be able to make your own house you can take around with you. Clever mollusks. Do check out Helen's book, What a Shell Can Tell, which is all about shells, how they're made, how to tell who made it from its shape, what you can learn from its pattern, and even what a shell can tell you about coral reefs. I hope that answers your question, Rianne, and thank you for sending it in. And now it's time for our third and final question, which is about something that can live in water and out of the water. Well, most of them anyway. It's about frogs and it comes from Lola. Hi, Lola. My name is Lola and I am six years old. I like animals, my family and colours. My question is, how long can frogs stay on the water? Hi Lola, thank you for sending me such a great froggy question. Our baby frogs called tadpoles can breathe underwater because they have gills. But when a tadpole turns into a frog, its gills disappear and it develops lungs. Frogs can breathe using their lungs and mouth. But if they want to stay underwater for a long time, they breathe through their skin. They take in oxygen from the water through their skin, and that helps them to breathe. Different species of frog can stay underwater for different amounts of times, mostly around four to seven hours. But when frogs hibernate, they can stay underwater for months. There are some frog species that don't live like this, and they haven't developed lungs, and they live their entire lives underwater. There's a frog called the Lake Titicaca frog, which lives in a lake in Peru and Bolivia. It's one of the world's largest frogs and it has lots of folds and wrinkles and so it can absorb lots of oxygen from the lake's water through its skin. It spends its entire life underwater and can go as deep as 100 metres into the lake, which is much deeper than you could ever go if you went scuba diving in the lake. So the amount of time a frog can spend underwater does depend on the species. One of the most amazing things I learned about frogs is something clever a few frogs can do when they've eaten something poisonous. Rather than vomit or be sick like humans would do, they can cough up their whole stomach and then rinse it out with their foreleg to get the poison out. And then they push their stomach back inside and off they go. How clever is that? Now I don't know if you know, but I write a weekly column in the Guardian newspaper which you can play online for free. Or you can read it in the Saturday Guardian magazine. I've just answered a question in that quiz, which is, what is the most poisonous frog in the world? Did you know it is called the golden poison dart frog? And just one has enough horrible toxins in it to kill 10 men. (gasps) Oh dear. 
They got their name because indigenous people in Colombia, where these frogs are from, used to dip the point of their dart into this venom so that when they used it, the frog's poison would go into the thing that they were shooting at and help to kill it. So that's how they got their name. There you go, a few things to learn about frogs. I hope that answers your question, Lola, and thank you for sending it in. Lola, that your question is also answered in the Everything Under the Sun book. You can read the answer in there if you have a copy. I hope you do. Do show it to all your friends. Right, that's it for this week. Wishing you all a very lovely week. A huge thank you to the wonderful Helen Scales for talking to us about shells and how different mollusks make them, as well as to Lola, Rianne and Alex for this week's questions. A big thank you to Ash Gardner at House of Strange for the theme song and Audio Networks for all the lovely incidental music we use this week. Remember, if you have a question, send it in to me at molly at everythingundersun.co.uk. There's lots of info about how to do that at my website, everythingundersun.co.uk. And get yourself a copy of the book of the podcast, Everything Under the Sun, a curious question for every day of the year, is waiting for you now. I think you're going to love it. Have a brilliant week of sunshine. And if you live near water, you might see some shells, frogs, or if you're lucky, a very rare animal, the vaquita. A big thank you to Orchard Toys for sponsoring this episode of Everything Under the Sun. Do go and have a look at their website, orchardtoys.com, and get a game of number bears. You can have 20% off with the Everything Under the Sun code, which is under the sun. Go on, get one this weekend. You're going to love it and it'll help you learn your number bombs. Sending lots of sunshine. Thank you and goodbye. (laughs) 